right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 177. It's Tuesday night. This is when we like to talk to you. My name is Bob Akairi, and I am your host here. Anything you want to talk about in college football, we'll go ahead and discuss it. Just hit request at the bottom left of the Twitter app. I'll let you up here, and we can talk about whatever. Lots of things going on. Um, you know, kind of looking at one of the topics that was sort of a sad topic today. Um, Aga, the dog mascot of uh, Georgia, the uh, the bulldog mascot, beloved bulldog mascot. Obviously, like many live mascots, they go through sort of a change of the guard periodically. And um, the previous Aga, Aga the 10th, known as K, died peacefully in his sleep. Earlier this morning, uh, the dog, uh, the uh, K, saw one of the most successful periods in Georgia history. So we're going to go ahead and just kind of point that out. Uh, as a uh, as Aga themselves, as Georgia pointed out, uh, born on May 27th, 2013, he formally began his tenure in a collar ceremony before, uh, pardon me, midway through the 2015 season. And then he retired following the 2022 season, having witnessed over two SEC titles, uh, two college football playoff championships, and seven New Year's Six bowl, uh, bowl appearances. So we uh, put our heart out for him. You know, one of the, my favorite moments with that particular mascot is he is, of course, the Ugga that survived a, uh, a charge from Bevo before the 2019 Sugar Bowl in uh that was uh vivo the uh the 15th so that was one of those classic moments of college football kind of silliness the uh the live mascot of texas vivo they thought i don't know who was thinking this is a great idea they brought a bulldog in front of a bull um historically bulldogs were bred to uh, do something called bull baiting uh, and bear baiting and kind of challenge animals get them a little hyped up so they brought it in front of a bull and the bull charged, and that was one of those kind of great moments. You can look it up. Um, we posted it on RCFB earlier today. Other topics kind of hitting college football. There was, you know, staying with Georgia. This is on the lighter side. Um, as you know, colleges will self-report violations. Uh, usually they're of the minor variety. Georgia reported some of its own level three violations. Some of them were football and very minor things. These are things that you're not going to get an NCAA death penalty on or anything of that sort. One of the level three um, violations that Georgia self-reported, and it, it wasn't football, but it was women's gymnastics, was kind of amusing. They got punished for, I guess, visiting players, visiting recruits, found in their hotel room floral and balloon arrangements. And that was apparently impermissible recruiting. So Georgia had to self-report that. Nothing you're going to get the death penalty for. Just that when you're talking level three, it's mostly amusing things that apparently you're not permitted to do. You know, on another interesting note, again, if you'd like to join the conversation, feel free to hit request. In an international college football exhibition, this past weekend was the second iteration of the Dream Bowl, uh, also called the Dream Japan Bowl. It's an interesting concept. At the end of the season, a group of all-stars from the Ivy League go to Japan and play a team comprising all-stars from a combination of both Japan's college football league as well as their what accounts for pro league. It's kind of a pro league. It's kind of a semi-pro league. It's, it's kind of interesting how Japan does it. It's called the X League. Some of the guys are import players. Um, we've had an opportunity to have a couple of guests on the show 
in uh, previous years who who cover college football in Japan, and they pointed out being um, an import player from the United States and Japan is actually kind of relentless. Like if you don't perform, they basically send you back to the United States really quickly. Um, so the Jap uh, the team Japan actually included a couple of American players, including. The player of the game was actually former Arizona uh, wide receiver. Uh, actually, pardon me, and he plays running back in, in Japan, Samar J. Grant. Um, but they were able to be the first team from Japan comprising all-stars to ever defeat any kind of American all-star team in this kind of competition, um, at least not since 1989. The uh, United States, the Ivy League team, had won the inaugural Japanese, uh, Dream Japan Bowl last year. And this year, in a remarkably defensive-oriented 10-5 victory, uh, Japan won. So they're pretty thrilled about it there. It's kind of a nice bellwether that at least, I mean, granted, it's Ivy League. They're not terrible. You know, the Ivy League does well in FCS. They don't, they choose to not play in the playoff, but they seem to do well in non-conference play for the handful of games they do against pretty challenging opponents. But um, they were able to at least perform well enough. Now, again, you put them against an FBS all-star team, they'll probably get blown out of the water. But, you know, baby steps. We don't want to – we want to keep people playing college football around the world, playing football around the world. So that was a nice moment to see at least some level of competition and increase on that. You know, one thing I was kind of thinking of, just as a quick kind of note, uh, I was trying to explain to a non-football person the the importance of Nick Saban's retirement and – how I personally was like, you know, that's the way I think most people want to go out, like retire at the peak of your career, retire when you've had nothing but success. And I was trying to think of analogs to Nick Saban to explain to someone. And, you know, John Wooden's a great example. I mean, it's ridiculous. If you've never actually looked up how successful John Wooden was as a college football, pardon me, a college basketball coach, you have to see it. Between 1967 and 1974, he won all but two national championships in basketball. I mean, that that level of domination, I mean, the, the closest thing would be what, what Saban managed to do in the, when you think about the fact in the 10 years we had a four-team playoff, Alabama at least made it into eight of those 10 playoffs. I mean, stunning era. But I was also trying to say, well, like, if you're not a sports fan, it would be like when Johnny Carson retired from uh, TV, like he was at the height of his game. Um, it's not really a sports analog. It's not like he was winning. Well, he probably was winning Emmys, but no one. It's not the same thing. Or when like Gary Larson retired from the far side, or Waters, Bill Watterson retired from Calvin and Hobbes. I mean, you always admire someone who's like at their peak and they don't let themselves kind of uh, fall apart. You know, there was actually since we were just talking about what happened in the Dream Japan Bowl, um, Japan actually had an analog of that themselves uh, after the 2019 season, and they pre-announced that the most successful college football coach in Japan decided, you know what, I'm done. He was 61 years old. So, you know, gosh, 11 years older than uh, Nick Saban. He had 28 seasons, 12 national championships, retired national championship again. I mean, it's always admirable when coaches are willing to do that in and talented people are at any level. Um, another interesting topic that's coming up is, you know, we're talking about coaching changes just in general. There's some that we're expecting. We're still watching this Dance between the Chargers and Jim Harbaugh. We'll see um, if it cl they close it. It seems like they're going to. Every report seems to update it that it you know one step closer. Some of the tweets that you see out there tend to be people I think who just want to stay in the general comp conversation of uh, staying relevant. But it certainly seems like seems like the Chargers and Harbaugh are 
aiming together. It's not a surprise if he does. Saban was a surprise. Harbaugh was more of the expected, you know, even before the, the end of this season, before winning the national championship, it seemed like most of the consensus was, however this team turned out, it was going to probably be a good moment for him to return to the NFL and see if he could get that Super Bowl win after reaching the Super Bowl at least once. And now after winning a national championship, it seemed more than inevitable. But, you know, we'll see. Who knows? Crazier things have happened. Um, the more interesting reports, one of them is less likely. There are reports Chip Kelly, UCLA's head coach, has is not open for a head coaching job, but is in the mix for potentially an offensive coordinator job in the NFL. I am not sure. I mean, there's no better job than being a fired FBS head coach, especially at P5 level. I mean, you get paid a fair amount per year, even from UCLA, not to coach there anymore. The other rumor, this one might be more plausible, is Akron's Joe Moorhead. Now, that's one of the toughest jobs in college football. Akron, San Jose State, there's a couple of them that are just really hard situations for their own various reasons. Joe Moorhead, respected coordinator heads there hasn't been able to necessarily turn it around immediately it's really tough he's still not too old he's 50 years old um he's the godfather of the run pass option that seems to have got him on attention from nfl teams so the idea of him being poached as a coordinator certainly seems plausible i mean he'd been head coach at fordham before franklin hired him to be the offensive coordinator of penn state um, where he was probably one of the better ones that Franklin has had. Uh, the idea of him going to the NFL seems plausible, especially from an Akron. We, as we've seen, not just the NFL, but you know, uh, FBS P5 programs, or I should say P4 programs, sorry, have been able to poach away some of these Mac and even Sunbelt head coaches to be coordinators, most notably Alabama, uh, hiring both the head coaches of South Alabama and uh Buffalo to be head, to be coordinators at those respective schools. So the idea of Joe Moorhead leaving for the NFL is seems a little bit more plausible than some of these other rumors. Again, if there's anything you'd like to talk about in college football, please feel free to hit request. Happy to let you up. It's kind of a quiet. This is like the first truly off-season Tuesday I feel like we've had because the past two weeks were kind of pants on fire after the national championship, followed by Saban deciding to step back and step down. Um, we're now, I think, finally getting that that moment of calm. I see Brad in a conversation. I'm happy to let you up here. Um, you know, one of the other things I'll get to is also would love to talk a little bit about Arizona because it looks a little chaotic there at the moment. But Brad, you've been patient. What's going on? Feel free to hit unmute. It's in the, the bottom left of the Twitter app. And... Feel free to just start talking whenever, uh, Brad, uh, whenever you get a chance. So as I'm waiting to see if Brad can – oh, there, it looks like you got it, Brad. Hi, I love the Joe, Joe Moorhead offense. I'm a Penn State fan. I've been following them for forever, for all my life. Um, but I'm really wondering what the uh, G5 players we should be looking to uh, in this draft coming up. Oh, in the NFL draft. Oh, my goodness. Boy, and th see, this is where this is where you've got me. I admit I have not shifted completely into the NFL draft mode on, uh, on some of the G5 players to watch. Because I thought you were actually going to ask me, who, sh who, sh who should we think about in the transfer portal? Um, only because it is the season for, uh, although it's pretty much frozen up. At this point, we're waiting for the spring to reopen up unless people are moving, you know, like to and from the handful of teams that got shooken up by 
Alabama's decision to, uh, or probably the departure of Alabama and the departure at Washington and, and that kind of uh, chain of events. Um, who are, Do you have some that you're looking for yourself? I mean, I, I feel bad for not having that particular answer ready to go. But I'd love to, to ask you, Brad, uh, are there some that have been on your radar? Um, I'm an ODU fan, uh, Old Dominion. And there's mm-hmm. some players, uh, Henderson, who did not enter the transfer portal as I remember correctly. And that guy's a beast. He was the Sun Belt. Um, yeah. Uh, well, you know, and I just realized this kind of, I admit, I totally was Googling this as I was going along. I forgot Michael Pratt's coming out. So he's going to be an absolutely interesting one because he's obviously Tulane's quarterback, a lot of success there. Although, did he transfer or is he? God, no, goodness, I'm looking at an, an older list here. I'm not sure if he, I think he's, I think he's going into the draft. He's, he's 22, but obviously, as we learned from that Miami tight end, you can be 26 and still, uh, still playing college football, apparently. I, I love, by the way, um, again, his name has just briefly slipped my mind, but there's a tight end who started at Oregon, just unfortunate uh, rash of injuries, just kept getting injured game after, I mean, season after season, plus the COVID stuff. So he's going to be, an unprecedented ninth year player for Miami. He's going to be 26. And it's kind of amusing because there's an extremely successful coach at D2, Chris McCullough, who last year took over at East Oklahoma, pardon me, East Central, which is in Oklahoma, um, at age 26. And now he's at uh, a better, uh, more powerful team in D2. Got them to the playoff this past year. And I'm just thinking, like, my goodness, that guy's about to play college football for his, at, at age 26. And now we got. <laughs> now we got a guy who who's a successful head coach um, at uh, D2 who's the same age. I mean, it's kind of funny. Maybe they'll both retire um, from their respective professions at the same time at that rate. Oh, my goodness. Hey, Ski Mask Smurphy, what's going on? I, I see you're up here as well. Yeah, I was going to comment on the old players thing because, I mean, sixth and seventh year players used to be fairly common. I mean, we always had the outliers, a.k.a. Chris Winkie, one of the right, five right. at 28. But uh, the the guys who have somehow managed to get like a ninth year of eligibility is one of those stories that's just sort of funny. Like everything just perfectly fell in place for these guys, and now they're basically like professional college football players, especially now with NIL. So it sort of works in their favor to just keep playing football for as long as they'll be allowed to. And I think the Miami guy, I read his story. I think he was like already approved for from the NCAA for this season that just passed and next season during his during last season. So what is that? That would have been so during 2022, he's already approved for 2023 and 2024. So he sort of like sort of seems like he just basically they the NCAA gave him the green one. It's like, yeah, you can just stay here forever. And it's it's one of those weird stories that sort of comes out every once in a while. Absolutely. It's like the Van as somebody says like the Van Wilder of college football. He's just gonna keep being there. Um I mean, because I think when you do some of the math, it was like when he was when he was a freshman, the incoming freshmen to Miami this year were in fifth grade. And, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's striking, you know, it, it, college football, you're waiting for like the headline college football player getting too old for this. Um, <laughs> these kids are Gen Alpha stuff, you know, and, and, you know, while he kind of grumbles in the background, it's just. It's just one of those I, I couldn't believe that when uh, when I saw that number come out, when, especially when you cr- uh, crunch the math on that. Um, you know, before I, I forget, I wanted to just really quickly mention this Arizona stuff because it seems like 
Arizona threw their athletic director under the bus, not because people were necessarily upset that he lost Jed Fish to Washington, because that wasn't really something they could help, and I'll get to that in a moment, uh, and not because I think they hired uh, Brent Brennan as the head football coach. In fact, it was actually striking. Somebody pointed out the amount of money he's getting at Arizona is not all that different than he was actually getting at San Jose State. Um, again, part of the problem at San Jose State is, is sheer cost of living uh, in Silicon Valley in the heart of where all that budget is. For a lot of people, it's very expensive. It's hard to even be a coordinator there. And the trade-off for the less salary than was expected was he gets a bigger salary pool to hire um, better coordinators, better assistants at Arizona. But going back to why it seems uh, and, and kind of the uh, the consensus maybe that he's being thrown under the bus um, by the, the president of the university, um, who's also, I believe, outgoing at Arizona, is mostly because of the massive financial issues that the program is having. And it's not just, I want to be clear, not just the Wildcats, the university, and they're still investigating the who's and why's. They somehow miscalculated $240 million um, that just simply was account. They thought they had, but they never had. Um, so Robert C. Robbins, the university president, um, has been kind of dealing with that. And it seems like they, I don't know if they figure they can get a cheaper AD, but after 11 years, they, uh, pardon me, they, they hired him in 2017. He was previously at Central Michigan, but uh, they announced the AD is out at Arizona. So not the greatest look um, for the Wildcats, but I think, frankly, they're also just running into problems that they can't, I mean, they couldn't possibly keep outbid Washington for Jet Fish. They simply don't have the cash because the entire university is uh, is still reeling from the fact that, Again, how do you misplace to how do you account for two hundred forty million dollars that were never there? I guess we'll find out um, in uh, potentially pending litigation there. Um, one other thought I just wanted to put out there. I know I mentioned earlier just the idea of what happens for uh, some of these head coaches. Uh, are there examples of Nick Sabins and others, not just sports, but other areas of life where people who are at the, just the top of their game, men and women who just decided, you know what, I think I'm going to step. I'm going to just Stop now when I'm at my peak. I just would love to hear if anybody else has some other names there. I've mentioned you know, comic artists like Gary Larson of The Far Side, Bill Watterson of Calvin and Hobbes, John Wooden of uh, UCLA Basketball. Um, John Wooden's hilarious. I mean, the guy, like, I, I just can't believe he's like, he was always very humble. And it's like, you know, won another national championship. I'm done. And then the dude was like 99 years old. And it's like, you know, I think I've lived long enough and right before I turned 100, he just passes away. I mean, it's just like the guy's just went all cylinders. You know, Daryl, you've been patient. You're up here. What's on your mind? No, uh, my my mind kind of is fluttering along the fact that like, all right, so you know who Chris Kleiman is, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Great, great quarterbacks coach at K-State. Like he's had a lot of good quarterbacks. I mean, maybe not great non for like playoff quarterbacks in the league, but he's had a lot out there. Uh, but really, I mean, with Avery coming up and then Will going to Ohio State, there's got to be some, some talk around that, right? Like, there's he's he's putting out some great quarterbacks. Oh, absolutely, and and I I agree with you. Um, both, I mean, you're right. He was there and developed some great talent at, um, at North Dakota state. And it always felt like K state 
probably got the best hire of the coaching tree in this kind of last this kind of uh dynasty that North Dakota State had going for a while because obviously Bull was his predecessor he's retiring after a decade at Wyoming um being one of their most successful head coaches although again in Wyoming's a tough job I was surprised Bull Craig Bull didn't go to necessarily like a higher profile school but he seemed happy in Wyoming it seemed to to suit his skill set Kleiman going to K-State, again, seemed like a steal at the time. Um, and then as he's developed out, especially, for example, I still remember, uh, I should say now, I guess it's been two seasons ago, upsetting TCU in the Big 12 title game. And you're right, he's absolutely had some success with some of these excellent uh, quarterbacks he's had there. Obviously, um, Ohio State's getting one, but then, yeah, Avery's been just a stellar quarterback there. Uh, and I think this is this might work as a transition um, just to get these two guys, you, uh, just I mean, a good transition between the young and old. Do you, do you really think that, like, with uh, Will going into Ohio State, um, does he have a real chance to, you know, let's say it, throw some balls out there and be a good quarterback? It's absolutely fast. You know, no, it, it's a great question because K State didn't have the receivers. They don't. They did not have the receivers. So going yeah. to Ohio State. Well, it's fascinating, too, because going to Ohio State right now, I mean, you're going to just obviously the talent level across the board goes up a bit. And I'm not trying to no, dis no, I'm a case at all. You don't Can't. have to. Yeah, I don't care. I'm serious. Yeah, no, but I mean, you know, it's just the, the level of the level of recruiting at oh, Ohio State. What they've been doing in this offseason is absolutely bonkers. Oh, so, I mean, he's going to have people to throw to. But. I mean, they also they managed to keep Henderson, one of their best right? running backs, and they right? added Quinshawn Junkins from from Ole Miss. So it's almost like, is he going to need to throw to anybody? I <laughs> mean, know, he, he's got... he could run the he could run the eleven twelve man offense and just run power out power out. He's used to that. I'm just one. I mean, because it's absolutely been fascinating to see how Ohio State has done All this right. offseason. I Sorry. mean. Yeah, granted, you know, we'll see how they do on the field. But, I mean, it, somebody, it's been pointed out, like, watching your rival have unprecedented success can do uh, a lot. To just watching moving. your own court, quarterback have success can do a lot to your program. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> man. Right. Hey, yeah. you know, uh, Ski Master Smurphy, I see your hand up. Did you want to add to this? Oh, yeah. Ohio State's recruiting, I mean, in three years has been impactful. I mean, watching as a Michigan fan. So like especially uh Brian Hartline with the wide receivers room is like he can't just keep getting away with this. Like every year it's you look at the wide receivers room and you're like, this is insane. And you see what the guys doing in the NFL is like, this is insane. And also question, well, how did they lose? But I would say him still being able to recruit even after like basically people were saying he should lose his job for no reason. It's like you gotta commend Ryan Day and his staff for always being able to put so not just get a good recruiting class, but also have a good recruiting class and actually go out there and win games. Even though, unfortunately for them, but fortunately for me as a Michigan alum, they, they've lost us for three years in a row. But I would say the one thing that will save Ryan Day's job is outside of if Harbaugh leaves or not, is the fact we're going to a 12-team playoff. And if things typically play out the way they normally do, where it's just both of us are undefeated to play the game at the end of the season, he'll still make the playoffs. So it'll still be it, – it won't just be, oh, you lost to Michigan, everything's over. It's all done here. But but I feel like Will Howard's a better game manager than a lot of – One thing he's got going for them is experience, and that's, that has proven yeah. again again, in addition to his just I mean, skill set. 
He he throws better than a lot of Big Ten quarterbacks. Um, so, uh, it's a, it's a Big Ten. It's not a high bar to jump. Hey, now we got we got Oregon, USC, UCLA, and Washington now technically part of it. I'm not, so, I'm uh, not saying as Heisman caliber. <laughs> but I'm looking forward like, to seeing how he does there. I mean, it's it's exciting. Yeah, like, there was a big fight for him, and to see Ohio he's State gotta, get him. He's got. A, was, he's got a. He, he's a cute. He's straight up a crow passer. I will say this: if he if he was on Iowa this year, that's the national championship for the Hawkeyes. Oh wow! <laughs> I can't wait to see it. I mean, uh, Ohio so State has definitely to set see Will itself. Go up. out! I'm I'm not bagging. I I just, dude, I'm excited to see him go. Maybe go to a team that we can win a national championship on. No, no dogging on the K State, but I, you know, love it. Thanks for joining us, Dale. It's been a great time. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm excited for that Penn State receiver we got, um, Keyshawn, or no, well, not Keyshawn Johnson. Last year came in from Iowa, but the new guy we got from Penn State receiver, I'm excited about too. So I'll leave you guys. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thanks for thanks for joining us. You know, and it's also I just realized they also got an offensive lineman to Kansas State from North Dakota. So oh, yeah, another real interesting on the old line. Cooper yeah, Beebe Easton, Easton Kilty. Cooper Beebe was an all-star last year. He's going to have Kilty, but Lena fell. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Daryl. It was great having you up here, talking a little K-State. Really appreciate it. I am um, sorry to interrupt you guys. <laughs> no, no, no worries, man. That's what it's about. It's always nice to hear from folks. Looks like we got Ron, um, who wants to join us. What's going on? Hello, it's been a while. How have you, how have you been, Bob? Bob, uh, Bob Ack, sorry. No, no, thanks. No, I've been, I've been good. You know, it's, it's kind of like the slow recovery as the season's done. Um, nice. Covering right. the national championship is one of the cra- is fun, but it's so intense. There's a moment I joke in the morning on like Tuesday when you've had like three hours of sleep that you're just kind of, and you have to go up and do another call or do something that you're just kind of like, I never want to see a football again. But by the end of the day, you've got it back. And then next thing you know, Nick Saban retires. So you have stuff to be excited about. But how are you? I've been doing good. You know, it's been it's been a bit. I'm right now driving from Atlanta to San Diego for my move, so that's fun. But uh, I got but now we got to talk about college football. That's why I'm here. One, bring back Tostitos Fiesta Bowl, and two, Rutgers is going to be ranked next season. Uh, gotta get those out of the way now that we're in the off season. But I have a question for you. So San Diego State, they got a new head coach uh, for next season, right? Right. Well, anyone know anything about this guy? Is he good or not? Because Sean I'm not Lewis? Living, I'm not yeah, yeah, they, too far from Aztec Stadium, so I'll probably end up going to games. Well, first of all, that stadium's great from what I've heard, as long as it's not like a hot day, but they don't usually do games in the daytime. That, that was just kind of an infamous mistake they made when they opened the stadium and uh, a team that normally plays at night not only played a game in the day to make, uh, to make a big splash with their stadium, but it ended up being like the hottest day that San Diego has ever hosted. Um, so it ended up being an awful experience. But setting that that opening aside, I've heard nothing but good things about that stadium over there. So all of that said, I mean, it, it's exciting to see how they do because Sean Lewis, he was at Kent State, which is, again, that's like Akron. It's one of those positions where if you sign up to do it, boy, that's a bold move. You know, it's not easy to do. Um, they, he was struggling there. And next thing you know, Dion uh, poached him to be the offensive coordinator at Colorado, which obviously it seemed like a good fit. It's still not clear what entirely happened, but midway through the season, 
I guess, you know, uh, for some reason, Dion just didn't like what was going on. So he sort of effectively demoted him. Um, and it seemed like he was going to be on his way out. It's still not entirely clear what went on there, but it just... That's what, yeah, that's what I was like, unsure about. Like, was there actually an issue or was he just the fall guy as to why... They, <clears throat> excuse me, as to why they collapsed. I, I'm not... I, I'm very curious to know. I wonder if there was also a clash and maybe... Because, of course, you know, the offense of Colorado was very... Not only just... Dion cared about the offense, but you know, his, his son's obviously the quarterback, you know, you've got talent, something about the way it was running. My, this has happened before. I mean, I remember, gosh, Oh, when Houston nut was at Arkansas, he brought in just some stellar talent and um, I forgot the quarterback and he ended up at USC, but he had some really star talent. And this was like 2000, I want to say 2006. And uh, he brought a little known Arkansas high school coach to be his offensive coordinator because he was the guy who had coached this superstar quarterback that Arkansas managed to nab. That young man, not that young man, but that offensive coordinator was Gus Malzahn, um, who is, you know, again, he was the local quarterback, probably local head coach, so he got him to be the offensive coordinator. This stuff has been done before. Um, and so Gus joins him at Arkansas, and they ended up clashing because they just weren't quite able to run the offense to to be the way that they had hired Gus Malzahn. They had a great, they had McFadden as a running back. He, they decided to build the entire offense around him. Uh, that kind of created a, a bit of an awkward clash between the, uh, um, between the, the head coach and his offensive coordinator. And it wasn't that um, Malzahn was not necessarily a bad head coach. It just was a, it just wasn't a good fit. So, he leaves Arkansas, goes to Tulsa as their uh, co-offensive coordinator, and it was a, you know, an offensive coordinator at Auburn. Has that one and done year at Arkansas State before Auburn just hired him as their head coach, where he obviously had that that national championship season. Um, so it's happened before, and I'm I'm not saying Sean Lewis is necessarily going to have that kind of a vector, but you know he had had some success. He was a, a considered a good offensive coordinator when he was at Syracuse when Kent State got him. And then, unfortunately, Kent State's just a tough job. It's kind of an interesting point, too. He has been, some people have said he's one of the reasons why Buffalo's head coach and, you know, somebody like uh, Kane Womack at uh, uh, South Alabama, who is a rising coach, who was in the name, in the mix for all of these positions, were willing to leave those head coaching jobs to join Kalen DeBoer's staff at Alabama because they literally just watched a guy like Sean Lewis go to Colorado and, and for what seems like no one was necessarily again. I think the benefit here is the outside didn't seem to blame him for his demotion at Colorado. And then he gets a job at San Diego state, which is, I mean, no, no diss to the Mac, but a better job in so many ways. I mean, you're going to San Diego, you know, like imagine living in, you know, Kent, Ohio versus getting a job and, and getting to, to, to move your family to San Diego. Plus um, they pay more there. And they've got a, brand, a much nicer facilities there. I mean, one could argue San Diego State was really banking on joining what was the Pac-12, only to watch it completely implode in front of them. But they certainly, um, they certainly have a lot better facilities than any MAC team right now. So he was able to use that coordinator position, even though it wasn't particularly successful uh, to bounce to a better position. And I think that's what happened to attract Buffalo and South Alabama's head coach to stop being there and just be another coordinator. At Alabama, and meanwhile, 
Um, I just wanted to point out what we watched uh, this season over at Northwestern. Also, I think is the reason why, because uh, I mean, David Braun, they hired him from North, North Dakota State, where he was their um, defensive coordinator. Obviously, the chaos in the offseason, he ends up stepping up to be interim head coach of Northwestern. He does well enough, surprising everybody to become the head coach. That's a Big Ten salary. It's obviously not like Ohio State, but they're paying in the millions. Meanwhile, back at North Dakota State, <laughs> you have the head coach there looking at what just occurred. And uh, what does he do? He takes the job to be the linebacker coach at USC because I think he realized I my my defensive coordinator got poached by Northwestern. And granted, it was kind of a, a, a unique situation, but now he's making, you know, probably quadruple, I don't know, septuple the number amount of money that I'm making as a head coach in North Dakota State, despite, you know, uh, what might be a, a recognized position. And I think that after seeing that, that, that probably encouraged him to bounce as well. I'm not sure. This has always sort of existed in the the background of college football, like there have been people who have been willing to take, you know, demotions at their position in order to move up the ladder. Kalen DeBoer is already one of those. I mean, he won three national championships in four years in NAIA. And what does he do? He takes the offensive coordinator position at an FCS school and moves his way up, becomes a coordinator in the MAC, becomes a coordinator in the Mountain West, coordinator in the, the Big Ten, and then head coach in the Ma uh, Mountain West, and then Obviously, Washington and now Alabama. There's been guys who've done that. The other one uh, who's currently coaching, who's a, I think a, a you know a, a hotter commodity, is um, Liberty's uh, uh, Chad. Um, oh my god, I just forgot his last name. <laughs> I've talked to the guy several times. He's like actually a really great interview. Um, Jamie Chadwell, pardon me, Jamie Chadwell. So he, you know, he was at Charleston Southern. An FCS school that has never been successful. He manages to get them into a playoff run, and then again, he be, this Joe Moglia is willing to take him as his offensive coordinator and kind of a, a successor position at Coastal Carolina. Uh, Moglia ends up having to retire medically early. He steps up, and then obviously now he's taking a job that pays really well. I mean, Liberty isn't Conference USA, but they pay a lot of money there, uh, and obviously they give you enough to be successful. And certainly, while uh, the Fiesta Bowl could have been better for them. Um, going 13 and one is still a, still a hell of a hell of a season for the Flames. Um, but yeah, so I, you brought that up. So Sean Lewis, I'm, I'm a little uh, okay. So all that said, I'm a little surprised they went with him. Uh, there may be some some better known names that might have uh, that might have also been good options there. But whatever they saw, they liked. And, you know, I just want to ask you uh, before before uh, anything else, Ron, San Diego, how hyped are you now that you're heading over there? Dude, I am so excited. I cannot even describe it. Get out of the cold wherever I am to go someplace that's finally warm, like warm me around. Living next to the beach again. Well, that's going to be fantastic. You know, I just, by the way, I just went back and looked at my kind of cheat sheet of every time somebody, one of these coaching hires was coming open, I admit I have not updated it with the, uh, I mean, I have who moved where, but I don't have like the coaching candidates at, uh, you know, um, uh, some of the others uh, that, that were towards the end of the coaching cycle. But when South, when San Diego State came open, some of the names that were being thrown around as head coach were Ryan Grubb, which we obviously stayed and he's, I think he's pretty loyal to Kalen DeBoer at this time. So obviously he's even heading with them to Alabama. Brian Lindgren, who was the offensive coordinator at Oregon State, 
um again that was uh that was immediately uh that was immediately uh after um he uh again so that was another i'm trying to see who else it was in the san diego state pool kirby moore offensive coordinator at mizzou brian harson kept coming up uh t martin quarterbacks coach for the ravens brennan carroll who was the offensive coordinator at arizona at the time uh brennan marion offensive coordinator of unlv zach arnett uh who's a technically a free agent at the time, but Sean Lewis was on that list. And obviously, uh, obviously he got it. And funny enough, Matt Wells, the former Utah state coach was on that list as well. And I forgot, I think he's now offensive coordinator. He just took a new job. And I, I think he's going to be, uh, he's replacing one of these guys somewhere. And I, I forgot where at the top of my head, but um, yeah, absolutely. You know, I see a couple of other hands have gone up. I'm going to let some people up here as well. Feel free to stick around, Ron. And I wish you a safe drive. I know it's fun to drive cross country. I enjoy it a lot myself. Um, every time I've had an opportunity, John, what's on your mind? Hey, man, how you doing tonight? Great. How are you? Not too bad. Just got off work. So, <laughs> um, hey, so quick question. Um, so, um, how close is your uh, football stadium to a Chipotle? To a Chipotle? Yeah. Gosh. Oh man, really close. Uh. I mean, well, okay, I don't know USC as well anymore, but I don't really live in Los Angeles. But Minnesota, there's like several on the campus of that. I mean, I I actually, I have a love-hate relationship with Chipotle, and, and this is the reason why. When I went to law school, the closest rest, there were like two close restaurants. One of them was Chipotle, and one of them was this, this chain called Noodles. I think it's based out of Colorado. And uh, I associate eating that with, some of the worst, the, the like not the worst three years of my life sounds pretty harsh, but like some tough three years. So burritos from Chipotle tastes like law school to me. Um, so I I have nothing against the chain, but man, I, I associate that way too yeah. much. And the, and this is I have to say the stadium they play in now was not in existence when I was when I was a student there. I'm very curious there, but I know they've got several Chipotles all around, and there's probably at least one fairly close to that campus. Yeah, I only asked because uh, Sicko's committee put that out today. I could very proudly say that uh, our college was uh, tied for second at 0.3 miles. Uh, real proud. Oh, oh, ODU? Yeah, ODU is. Yeah, we're 0.3 miles. We just put, put uh, thank goodness the Tripoli was not here when I was in school, or I, you'd be talking to a 400-pound man right now because that would have been extremely dangerous back then. Um, but uh, <laughs> now, College campus, Chipotles are a scam. They're terrible. I don't know <laughs> well, why. Well, this one's technically off campus. It's an independent, like, it's a Chipotle, like, across the street from campus, but Oh, sure, sure, yeah. sure. I'm, I'm, inclu I'm including those. If there's a Chipotle in a college town, it sucks. I don't know why. <laughs> you know, it's so. It I love hearing you guys say this. I, I agree with Ron. Well, I, I love you hearing you guys say this because Chipotle wasn't a thing when I was an undergrad. And, but although I remember, hey, I remember the first time I saw Chipotle was visiting a girl I was dating at UC Davis. And I'm like, oh, what is this? And then I found out it had like, been bought by McDonald's and spread around the country from uh, Colorado. But all that said... For, uh, I that restaurant chain when I was in college was Denny's. Like there was always a Denny's near a college campus, and it was always like hell on earth. Like I refused to go to Denny's because of the experiences I had with the Denny's next to USC, which was very obviously located in what was a Bank of America because the whole layout was so weird inside. And they had like where a banker's office was was like a rentable room upstairs or something like that the whole experience they ripped it down and and honestly i'm so glad they did there's a much better thing on that site now but oh gosh the denny's next to my college campus was like was one of the pits of hell seven yeah. layers of hell or whatever that, that was, was it was it 24 7 oh yeah of course it was 
aren't you? I think yeah, they had a claw before, machine. They had a claw from, machine. So we always got in competitions trying to get stuff out of the claw machine at the Denny's. Aren't you from SoCal, though? Every person I know from SoCal loves Denny's. I don't know why. They're liars. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I am from SoCal. And no, there were better places. Because I grew up with like Bob's Big Boy, which was a really popular chain that kind of evaporated. And, you know, there was like Caro's. There was Marie Callender's. There were better options than, than Denny's. I'll just say that. But yeah, yeah, Denny's Denny's tasted like a really bad night in college for me. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I can't get over that one. Yeah, I would say mine was uh, mine was Raging Cane's. Like, I, I know that my friend, a couple of people may be here in this group, but uh, but I mean, Raging Cane's. Uh, it was like it was one of those places that, that took student points. It was open at three a.m. in the morning, and so by the time you got there, it was just like you said, it was hell on earth. There was the lines were nuts. I mean, people were yeah, people were you know puking in the corner. It was just like. It was like the worst version of a Waffle House that had chicken fingers. It was just absolutely <laughs> nasty to go with you. Um, right. That before, is the most interesting restaurant. Yeah, and, I, and before before I did have one actually was really serious question real quick for you. Um, so for for next season, is there a, is there a player you think uh, someone who stuck around and didn't go to the draft that really is going to show out because they stuck in uh, they're going to stay in college for one more year? Like someone's going to prove their draft stuff draft stock or someone who's just gonna be you know essentially be a more and improved player by the next season that is a great question i mean there's a little bit of of uh issues with predicting something of that nature that said one of the things that nil and the transfer portal have done is made it opportunities for guys who might have been projected you know some people have said second round onwards but certainly guys were late round uh day two selections an opportunity to really go out there and prove themselves in a way that they perhaps had not before. So I think there will be some, you know, Ron, I see your hand up. Did you want to add someone? Did you have someone in mind? Uh, yeah. From Rutgers, uh, Kyle Manun guy. He went crazy last season, honestly. And he's coming back. I'm pretty sure. And I would keep an eye on him. Cause I, I honestly think overall the team's actually going to improve. We're not going to be like world beaters. We're not going to beat Michigan or Ohio state, but I definitely think we could, we could hit eight wins in the right without a, without the ball game. You know, it's actually I was just really quickly looking at Rutgers' schedule next season. It's it, easy. Ain't, it's it, easy. Is, it ain't bad at all. Like you actually don't have to worry about Michigan and Ohio State unless you somehow go through. <laughs> yeah, like, oh yeah, would, yeah, yeah, we're not even playing them. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. So yeah, you guys, yeah, you guys have you guys have Michigan and Ohio State in the bag next season. Well, in a di- they're in a different bag, you know. So you don't even have to worry about them. Uh, man, look at that schedule. Yeah, so. Obviously, Howard, Akron, not a big deal. At VT, that's that's going to be an interesting throwback to the Big East days. Um, we'll see how that one goes. Washington, and Washington's so hard to... like. Washington has seems to have been completely gutted, um, so it's going to be hard to predict what they're going to be all about. At Nebraska, that'll be interesting. That'll actually be a, that'll be a game where I'm going to want to see which team is doing better. Is Rutgers or is Matt Rule got Nebraska turning around at this point? <laughs> Gosh, UCLA and then at USC back to back. That'll be fun. Um, UCLA's coming to Piscataway, going to the Coliseum. That'll I'm be one. I mean, you're going to be, you're going to go up to that one, right? I'm at, I, I, yeah, don't worry. I'm already buying my ticket. I'm ready for that one. Coliseum's fun. It's a great place to see a game. I recommend it. If I you've already ever joined been. The, the SoCal Rutgers alum group and they're already talking about it. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's going to be hype. Oh, hey, thank you, John, for sharing, by the way, that tweet of the Sickos Committee. That you were talking about how close are FBS stadiums in the nearest Chipotle? Um, yeah, hey, that's, yeah. hey, you're close but, too, man. I, I, you are uh, 0.4 miles away. 
Let's go ODU. But, yeah, so, but uh, for Colin and that guy, though, like he was the leading rusher in the Big Ten, I'm pretty sure, this year. We have an easier schedule. The team's probably going to only get better, and we got some QB competition, so we actually may have a, de- a decent passing game for once. So, I think. Yeah, gets- I just I got to say, Ron, this this Rutgers schedule that I'm looking at it is remarkable because not only do you guys miss Michigan and Ohio State, but you miss of the th- of the four new teams, you guys miss Oregon. So that is that is a good thing. That is uh, that is an impressive uh, lineup there for for developing a. For potentially Rutgers getting, uh, first of all, certainly they have a bowl. Uh, they have a chance to get at a bowl, but perhaps even doing a little more. Um, for. Yeah, certainly. It's oh my gosh, optimism, optimism at at, at, uh, at Rutgers. It's it's, it's a it's, good thing. It's cr- I think we talked about it before, like months ago, when we beat. Uh, I don't remember what team was anymore. But I was like, it's crazy that I can finally like watch Rutgers basketball for the first time since like 2007 when I was. 10 years old and be like, we don't suck. Well, you said basketball, but I thought that was great. Uh, <laughs> Elizabeth, you've been super patient. What's going on? Hey, Bobak. Um, you know what? Uh, do you remember early in the season, like midway through where I said, there's no way Jimbo Fisher is going to let Bobby Petrino have all the control over the play calling. I remember. So there were a couple of like, well, I'm looking at now where Bobby Petrino, thank, thankfully, has come back to Arkansas. And I just think it's going to be a different season. I think he's going to take over. And I think eventually, unfortunately, Sam Pittman is no longer going to be the coach. That's just what I see the writing on the wall. It does feel that way, doesn't it? It's one of the strangest hires I've ever seen. Sam Pittman. It's, it's kind bizarre. Of- Honestly. Well, you and you wonder was he forced to do it, or because he knows he's basically hired in case of emergency, break glass interim head coach Bobby Petrino. Like that was, I remember when that hired, that was like the immediate thought. And exactly. He, and in a way, I mean, is that the way you get him back? Because obviously, the way he departed last time wasn't exactly uh, the greatest. And some people who not <laughs> yeah, so, not familiar so with that, it'll be fun it's for them. Round upon a little bit. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> But man, I mean, can you imagine that? And I think it's certainly plausible because Pittman, and I mean, you know, this is, uh, it's again, there's got to be elements of all of this, elements of exactly. pressure from the outside, elements of desperation um, by Sam Pittman. And a ser- and to be fair, you know, fairly bold and, and you know, I don't know if it's madness or what, willing to, to have him uh, there. But I mean, and it's, I wonder how soon we'll find out. I mean, you know, at Oklahoma State in week two. That's going to be a fun one yeah, to see. I, I, exactly. I think, honestly, I think we'll find out within the first three games. Because he his play calling, I remember so many games where, okay, well, um, you know, Arkansas is probably just going to, you know, take a knee. It's going into halftime. It's like, and then he calls a 70-yard pass for a touchdown. And we end up beating, like, Georgia. Yeah, absolutely. I think I accidentally hit a button that. Oops, sorry. I think I accidentally. Un- I think I accidentally muted everybody. I'm oh, so you, sorry yeah, about that. Yeah, you, you you no, 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 no. I thought that's hurtful. No, no. I muted everyone. I, I <laughs> this is every now and again they move so buttons around, and I just realized I'm like, what is this red light that just appeared on my screen? And it said <laughs> unmute everybody. Sad. Sorry about that. No, I, I am. So, Vobeck, you, you, you've never watched Men in Black. You don't press the red button. 
Yeah. No, no, no. It's hidden. That's the thing. It actually says like mute everybody in black and it's right above my own mic. And so I was like, oh, I'll mute myself. And then next thing I know, I mean, gosh, we had an embarrassing one. I can't remember who it was. It was, I think, Shane Beamer. And they had added this function that they got rid of or hid it where you could change your voice. And in the oh, middle no. of this q and apparently, and I didn't hear it. I couldn't hear it on my side. And I just started getting all these like alerts from my phone. Like, <laughs> dude, stop. Just stop talking. I'm like, what? And then he kind of went with the question because it was a legit question. It just sounded like Darth Vader was talking as it turned out. <laughs> but um, so like I, I, that's the one annoying thing about the Twitter interface. They kind of move things around on a regular basis. And they just kind of end up like, oh, whoops, I just muted everyone. And, like and last actually last week. I, and I, it came up afterwards. I was muted for like a good three minutes and I didn't realize I was like talking. And then the caller just kind of started talking again. And I'm like, wait, what just happened? And then I realized I'd been muted the whole time. So, yep, always, always fun time. You know, it's, it's, uh, there's no producer. It's just me. Um, <laughs> you do a great job though, Bobak. I, I was in a call to talk about Atlanta United and the host didn't realize he muted himself for 30 minutes. So the guy who he brought up to speak just decided oh, to become wow. the host. He oh, just and he's like, and he finally was like, I was wondering why everyone was talking over me while you just decided to become the host. But for like 30 <laughs> minutes, this guy was just going off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's like a nightmare. Yeah. Now, because those are the moments you, you can't forget. And again, anyone who's on a Twitter space and hosted enough of these, it's so easy for things to go sideways that you're just kind of like, okay. You know, I mean, because there is. Uh, and I'm not saying that again. I think it's it's a great it's just it's a great thing they even got this to work at all. Um, the whole reason why you have to talk on your the phone app is because, and I get it. How do you possibly harmonize all of the different you know computer setups at home that could work? Um, Reddit tried to copy it, and um, they finally got it to work right before Reddit pulled the plug on the entire version, their own version of it. So. Um, yeah, I, I'll respect the people who program this stuff. It's not easy to do it, and I'm just a you know, one of the uh, the the fools that try to make it work. But um, yeah, sorry about that. So Elizabeth, going back to you, uh, to where <laughs> we needed you completely, because you were talking about Sam Pittman call, yeah. issues calling plays before I accidentally muted everyone. Yeah, no worries. Um, now, I, I just, what I was thinking is that um, this is like Sam Pittman's, um, I mean, it's going to save him. I don't think he's going to be a coach probably more than two more years. I think Bobby Petrino is going to take over. And I think Bobby, Bobby Petrino kind of has this like need to fulfill a championship for what happened with his past. And I, I think he truly wants to do that. And he is a mastermind offensive. He is brilliant. I've seen what he does. He's done some things and plays that are unpredictable which makes him really good. Um, and he wasn't allowed to do the calls at AM. Jimbo wouldn't allow it. Like I said, I knew that wouldn't happen. There's no way. There's no way he's making all the calls. So Yeah, and I, I wonder first. if I wonder <laughs> if Arkansas has now been through the wilderness long enough that this is now something they're willing to do again. Because that was back in twenty eleven. That was exactly. that was a while back. 
And then 20, I mean, we had that incredible John L. Smith 2012 season. That is, that uh, is one to remember. Are we really going to talk about that? Really? <laughs> no, I mean, no, I always Miles, don't, whenever no, something goes no, wrong at a no. program, I want to see John L. Smith show up again. I just want to yeah. see him show up because he has had, he is the ultimate journeyman, you know, um, uh, uh, head coach and just all the random places he did. I mean, he finished his career at a D2 HBCU. And let's be honest, this guy is not he's not the guy you would have expected. He is he's done not literally that. everything and stayed in. Um but then Bielog, you know. Head coach uh, not he coach of the year in the it was it the Big Ten back at Michigan State, if I remember. Michigan State, time. yeah. And I think mm-hmm. it was a pre previous stop. I remember when he was yeah. John L. Smith was previously at Louisville and then previously at Utah State. And I think because he was known for being kind of a clumsy guy in his press conferences. I think it was him. Um, clumsy it's been is many kind. years. Huh? Clumsy is a kind word to say for yeah, that. But he, I think when he accepted the job at, it was, I believe it was Utah State, he famously gave a press conference. He's like, I'm really happy to take the job here at Utah. And then there was a pause, and the audience was kind of like, is he going to say state? And then he didn't, so there started to be like weird boos in the audience. And then he caught oh himself gosh. and went like, Utah State. Utah State, you know, <laughs> so I mean, it was just but he, he's always been kind of this. He's like the, just kind of I mean, again, it's a Peter principle, right? A guy who's successful at all these different levels and then finally reaches a school where he just can't do anything right. And well, and granted, the way mm-hmm. he was hired by Arkansas was unique. Um, unique is a kind way of saying that. I appreciate that. Um, you know, at a, a at a oh, gosh, it was a Little Rock um conference of all the donors and he actually called us Alabama. <laughs> I, I can't make this up. I mean, I really can't. It's like some of the things, and I don't know if you remember that, that year, but he was in the news every day. It's like a $40 million loss, uh, land loss deal that he made at Kentucky. Yes. He was desperate. He was actually <laughs> coaching. He kept coaching because he had lost so much money in exactly. bad investments that he needed to coach to live. Like it was literally just like, it was a matter of survival. <laughs> he wasn't coaching to make money. He was coaching <laughs> to put a bandage on all his, what he, all the mistakes. <laughs> but it was like every, every morning I would wake up and cringe to look at the news and go, Oh my gosh! Please not not be something horrible and cruel about Arkansas football and our coach John L. Smith. And now, what I wonder, you know, as a media person that you are, why did he just disappear as soon as he left Arkansas? He's not in the media every day. Why? John L. Smith. Yeah. I I think he just no one wanted. To, I mean, he got a job at one of the well, actually, okay, you may or may not remember Arkansas. The whole Arkansas I hiring forget. was. I, I do forget. <laughs> what was really awkward because he had just taken a job to be a head coach at another small school. I forgot which school it was, mm-hmm. um, and then he immediately because like Weaver State, which yes. was it? Weaver State. I, yeah, I, was, Weaver I State. was going back through it. I was going back through it. Yeah, because he was like, about to take that job. I remember and... that. I remember that. So he's about to take the Weber State job, and suddenly Arkansas is like, we need a head coach like now. And he's like, all right, I'm in. Uh, and Weber State's <laughs> kind of left holding the bag. And then after that, you know, he kind of burned some bridges there. Fort Lewis, where he went to, is one of, I mean, again, no disrespect to, to what they're trying to do there uh, with the Skyhawks because they have that great name. But they are 
one of the worst schools in all of football. In fact, we had a guy cover a game there last season, not because we wanted to make fun of him, but because he was living suddenly living near Durango, which is where Fort Lewis is. And at the end of the regular season, they hosted Colorado Mines, which was the number one D2 school. So you literally oh. had a winless team against an undefeated team on the extreme ends of the division two spectrum. Uh, but that's where Fort Lewis is. So he couldn't really get them to be successful, although that's a big call. And then, yeah, he finished <laughs> his, uh, he finished his career with three seasons at uh, D uh, D two HBCU, Kentucky state thoroughbreds. So wow. That his final season, <laughs> zero and 10. Are um, you serious? Oh yeah, my gosh. It, wow. I it's Wild to think, you know, he had, and I remember that Louisville team he had in 2001 where, uh, yeah, he went 10 and two there. So he, he 11 and two. So he had some success. It just, again, like Michigan state didn't quite work out. Arkansas was kind of a surprise because he at least knew how to run a program. And I think they just wanted to buy time before they did a proper coaching search, but exactly. Yeah. And then they got, uh, yeah, Brett Bielma, which again, you know, not a terrible hire, especially initially. It didn't quite. I think that was that was a bigger surprise to me. I think I was a little surprised the Wisconsin to Arkansas trend, but if anything, that that hire was the one that got I think some of the the mid level Big Ten teams to suddenly realize like, oh, we can be poached by mid level SEC teams. I mean, not to say that Arkansas can't climb up, but that's what it certainly felt like to see a successful right. coach at Wisconsin take the job at Arkansas was still shocking to this day. I, I was shocked when when the announcement was made too because I was like, okay. Um, and he he did the play marketing person. It's like he grew up on a hog farm. He had two thousand hogs. He made that play, won everybody over. But um, yeah, it didn't work out unfortunately. Yeah, and so far, I'm very curious to see if he can turn things around at Illinois. This last season was a little bit disappointing for them. Um, after the previous bowl season, it's. We'll see. I'm curious to see. It's certainly not the same guy we saw terrorizing everybody in Wisconsin because I was genuinely annoyed and impressed by what he had going there. I say annoyed because my grad school was Minnesota, so you know it is a rival school. But what he was and he was merciless. His co his teams at Wisconsin, he was running up the score and basically telling the other team oh. try and stop me. He was very open that. about that. It yeah. was like seventy something. He ran up the score on. I forgot what game. It was probably. But he ran up the score. He was like 71 points. I'm like, uh, I don't really care for that. That's not. Yeah, it was Austin P. He did like a 70 yes. to three yes. win on that. Exactly. And then, no, no, I remember against Indiana, he oh. went up 83 yes. to 20. Um, was that so, in a bowl game? No, that, no, that was that was our that was uh, probably Wisconsin, Indiana. That was a that was a conference game. That's a conference game. Yeah, he was just, um, and that was the season where they made it to the Rose Bowl and lost to that. That TCU, that charmed TCU team, that was, um, but back was that the TCU team that had the six foot eight kicker? I can't remember, that but kicker? that was the undefeated was, TCU Mountain West champ that went to the Rose Bowl and finished a perfect season. Yeah, I think it was because I'd never seen a a, a a punter that he was six foot eight, like two hundred and something pounds, and I'm like, he looked like a tight end. Did he eat the kicker? I like. <laughs> I don't recall the name, but the, the TCU guy that when they won the Rose Bowl, I don't recall the year, but he was, uh, he looked like a tight end. So I'll have to recall that. But anyway, that is awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was that same, that was that same season for sure. So, 
Gosh, I was such a I was such a charm dear. It's amazing to think back to that season where TCU went undefeated and they were Mountain West and finished number two in the country. That was that was one of those great signs that uh well, that the Mountain West was climbing, but really it was that TCU was going places, as it turned out. Um, exactly. My goodness. So uh, going back to Arkansas, I'm very much looking forward to this season and trying to see where, if, uh, if um, yeah, Sam Pittman can stay employed there. And if he doesn't, what point are we going to see Bobby Petrino step into the, uh, step into the, uh, the driver's seat there? Um, I give it. Two years. Most most of my people say the same thing. It's like it's just like a a nice stepping stone for Sam, you know, Sam Pittman to you know exit with you know some dignity and class. But he's just unfortunately he's not a head coach. He's a great offensive line coach. He's just not a head coach. He's not. He's just not. Looking at this lineup, so you got Arkansas Parn Bluff. That should be easy. Uh, Oklahoma State could be hard. They could lose that, but they might stick with them. UAB, Trent Dilfer hasn't exactly impressed there. Then you got at Auburn, and then that that neutral game they like to play, the Southwest Classic against A and M. Boy, that that's a game. I if hate they that can... one. Oh, Bobby, Bobby will have that dialed out, no doubt. <laughs> Especially, it'll be fun against his old team. My goodness. Hey, Ski Master Murphy, I see your hand up. Well, yeah, I was going to comment on it before we went on a long tangent, but we circled back to it. I was going to say, I don't know if Bobby Petrino is sort of the, the right pick for Arkansas to replace Pitten with because, I mean, even though he's gotten a lot better, but he still sort of has, like, that notorious reputation for being, like, the lever. Like, he'll just, he'll just leave wherever he's at. Because, I mean, he, he did it three times in a row, sort of like a fourth time. With, you know, he was at Louisville, left him, like, Basically, mid press conference, like I'm gonna coach the Falcons. Mike Vick goes to jail. He leaves the Falcons, goes to Arkansas. Then Arkansas, he just leaves, looking for a better job, but it doesn't work out. And then he goes back to Louisville again. And one season, without, not even a whole season without Lamar, he's like, "Yeah, I'm out of here." Well, I mean, uh, l- 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 he left Arkansas for slightly more complicated reasons than for a new job. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, leave. no. I'm- yeah, he didn't leave. He, but I do remember that he was. Yeah. I remember when he was at Western Kentucky. He was at Western Kentucky for that one season before Louisville hired him back, and then he just did not quite work out at Louisville. He wasn't doing bad at Missouri State. Then I think he just wanted to uh, to move back up into uh, FBS, um, and uh, yeah, took that. Uh, in fact, he played Arkansas while he was still the head coach at Missouri State. But yeah, now uh, took that job at UNLV and A and M and. Yeah, I think Missouri State, he got him to the playoffs like twice, didn't he? he did. I think it was only yeah. once, but that's still impressive for them. That Oh, no, twice. You're right, twice. I'm so sorry. Boy, yeah, because that was that crazy spring season. Yeah, so he went 5-5 oh, and 5-1 right, in conference. Man, what a weird season. Yeah. But the, so the SCS has, what, 2014, so if you can win your conference, you get the spot. Yeah, absolutely. He's uh, – so yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he gets it. I don't know, but I don't know think I don't know who where he would bounce to at this point. His reputation and his, you know, how old is he now? Let's see. I'm actually curious. He's what, uh 62? He gotta be 62. early sixties, right? Yeah, he's sixty-two right now. Yeah. So if he he's does not end up becoming anywhere, I swear you guys, mark this on your calendars. He is going to do well at Arkansas. And he's gonna be the head coach. And we're gonna do I, I that's my optimism speaking. Sorry. Um I, I think he's going to do good things. There's nothing wrong with that. I, I don't doubt that he'll do good and that he'll eventually be the coach. I just don't understand how you hire him again, though, is the thing. Like, it's, it's not like it was the little oopsie-daisy 
No, he, he caused, like, national headlines. Like, it was a very big, like, <laughs> he did some very bad things. Yeah. Is this the Hugh Freeze effect? After, you, after Auburn goes and hires Hugh Freeze, it doesn't really matter who you hire at this point, as long as they win, baby. <laughs> just win, baby, you know, going back to the classics. I mean, Hugh Freeze was just playing with paying players, right? Uh, Hugh Freeze got in more trouble for a variety of things he was doing on and off the field. So it was, it was, it was, <laughs> it was arguably sorry, in the same sorry. kind of loose moral turpitude. I, I mean, like that, that might have uh, affected some, but you know, and oh my gosh, I keep forgetting this because uh, again, no, Bobby Petrino, I don't know if it was someone running his account or if it was him. But there was a moment on Twitter, and he briefly, I remember he briefly banned uh, or blocked RCFB over this, even though it wasn't like we weren't being, we were actually being very kind about it. But people noticed his account, I don't know who it was, had had liked some very uh, risque material of models and things like that on Twitter. Somebody noticed this was in his yes. likes, right? So we kind of said, like, it looks like somebody in control of this account has liked some things. And the next thing you know, we were blocked. And we were like, ooh, whoever's controlling that account noticed it. So I'm going to say I don't think Bobby Petrino probably did that. But whoever was managing his account had a uh, moment. Um, and uh, Or maybe it was him. Who knows? But uh, Wait, so Bobby, are it, we still blocked on that? One full of headers. No, no. He had blocked us ages afterwards. I can't. I don't, oh, okay. That's what got okay. me suspicious. I wonder if it was someone in the athletic department forgot they were logged into his account. And again, we gotcha. weren't the ones to notice it. Some people were like, hey, did anyone notice who he's liking? And we all, we went and checked and we're like, oh, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> um <laughs> And again, like that's a classic error, I think, of anyone who runs a social media account. Like, if you are you logged into the I, like, I'm lucky; I don't have a personal Twitter account. So, if I'm on Twitter, it's this account or it's another one uh, that I that I help run, and I'm not going to necessarily accidentally, uh, you know, go in the direction with my own voice. Like, uh, John, I see your hand up. Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> I got to ask because you mentioned you were blocked by Bybridge. Is there is there another block that you guys have been given? Like, you have a favorite all time block from a from a notable person? Well, the, again, uh, he unblocked us. The favorite has to be Lincoln Riley because we got blocked over the barbecue thing. We we the brisket thing. That was the moment we got blocked by him, and we were kind of surprised by it, uh, to be honest. Because again, we don't we're not like vicious. We we that I joke because I went to you know like some of the some of the team can be a little bit. Um, I know that, but I mean, but there's certain things. There's lines you don't like cross, and uh, I joke because I went to, to Catholic school. I learned I was like wrote plays, and you always knew. There was a line you didn't want to cross. There was always it was the unsaid line, but you knew eh, you're going to Catholic school. You don't they send things. To you. I went to a Mennonite school from K through eight. Like I'm used to this. Like there's there's things that you just can't get away with, and you know that line. So when we do things, we're always we're, we know where to pull our punches, you know. And so when uh, when the Laura, you went to a Mennonite school. They have that's like you can just go there. Yeah, I know, right? Are, no, Bakersfield, are, the choices are, are you a Mennonite? Lackluster. Yeah, I'm not a Mennonite. No, no, and and no, and, you know, hey, they're they're related to the. I mean, they're they're kind of the same tree as the Amish, but they decided like buttons and zippers were cool. So, uh, you know, That's um, like, <laughs> was it a private school? I, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, it was a private school. Fascinating to me that a Mennonite school accepted a non-Mennonite. 
Oh yeah, well in Bakersfield, beggars couldn't be choosers. Like it literally, I don't know uh, if any of my classmates were actually Mennonites. I think there was a lot of Catholics. There were a couple of my uh, South Asian friends who were of I know were of the Hindu persuasion. Um, yeah, no, no, it was it was a variety, and then a lot of us ended up going to the Catholic high school because at the time it was the only private high school. It wasn't she she? Let me. It wasn't bougie at all. Let me be very clear. This is Bakersfield. I I describe. I served fifteen years in Bakersfield. Like it wasn't. Um, it wasn't a glamorous place. It wasn't like I read about some of the pri- and now there is like a very fancy private like it's called like Bakersfield Christian Academy. It's not I think it's non-denominational and yeah no they charge a lot of money. I so I looked it up just was curious like what, what do the kids go there go and it's very different than the than the times I went uh, to school. Um, <laughs> but goodness yeah so going from there goodness there, there's things you know to do. So you asked me what my favorite uh, Twitter band we ever got was it was Lincoln Riley over the brisket. And he un- he unbanned us, and that was a funny story in and of itself. He's not on tonight, but uh, uh, one of our guys, H2O guy, was at Pac-12 Media Days before this season and ended up at a table with Lincoln Riley and, and a bunch of reporters and somehow came up, and he got them to unban us, right, unblock us right there on the spot. Uh, and that, that moment... Uh, H2O guy is a, a salesman by his trade, and man, he can he sold them on unblocking us, and I'll, I'll give him credit for that. Uh, and he's kept us unblocked. Again, hey, we'll criticize. Don't get me wrong; we have absolutely fairly criticized uh, uh, Lincoln Riley throughout this season, particularly when it came to the defense. But you know what? That was that was one of those funny moments. Yeah, I, I was going to say uh, I was trying to remember who I've, I've been blocked a couple of times. Um, Ben Roethlisberger blocked me. Um, I actually don't know why I was blocked. Uh, and, and everything. No big loss there. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Texas Day Brazil still has me blocked uh, nearly a decade later. The restaurant? Yeah. I uh, My buddy had a really bad experience. I tweeted at him, like, you know, I tweeted, you know, replied back to his tweet asking, like, hey, can I get like a gift card or something like that? I replied. We both got blocked. He got unblocked. And I'm still blocked like 10 years later. So I, I can say I can probably say I'm blocked by an entire restaurant chain. That is uh, <laughs> that is unique. Well, you know what? Guys? I feel I'm there's more to that story. What, what did you say? I feel there's more to that story. He did something in that restaurant. Oh, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Now, I, I just wanted my buddy to get a gift card. <laughs> I did nothing inside of Texas A. Brazil. I've actually never been to one. Honestly, and I, I kind of don't go to them out of protest because of being blocked on Twitter. It's basically Fogo de Chao with a different name. That, that's all I'm going to say. I, I Okay, I know a lot of people are into these Brazilian steak chains. They're neat and everything. And, and I, I I did the first time I ever tried that was actually in Rio in, in the 90s. Not at a, one of the, those restaurants, but a Brazilian steak. So I was familiar with it, but I just prefer a good old fashioned like a steakhouse that just knows how to make one steak really well. Um, not well done. And that's not what I mean, but you know, medium rare. That is, that is, that is. I just went to an amazing steakhouse here in the Twin Cities, Porzana, Argentine. Man, oh, just melted in my mouth. But you know what? I think I'm going to start wrapping this up since we're getting pretty far afield. And it's off season. I was impressed this went for a little over an hour. It's always a little slower. Um, it started quite slow, um, but lots of things going on. Mostly talking a little bit early on about how Ohio State seems to be doing so well. Um, recruiting, transfer portal. They are February college football champions. Let's see if it translates into some success come fall. I'd be surprised otherwise. And we're watching the Jim Harbaugh Chargers dance to see if that comes to an end. Um, 
And if he gets hired away, suddenly the portal opens up at Michigan. Um, and then in the spring, we get the the next portal. Actually, it's going to be fine. The spring portal is going to be really interesting because a lot of teams that either lost some people to in this latest round that Alabama caused are going to want to trade. And Alabama is going to suddenly be on the market um, hunting for players to, to go in the Kalen DeBoer's new offense. Um, looking forward to that. But I'm Av Ball. Visit RCFB. I'm Bob Akairi. This was RCFB Talk 177. Miss the beginning. This automatically turns into a recording. I'll be sure to get this set up to wherever you get your regular podcasts. Um, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Every Tuesday night we do these. I hope you all have a great rest of your night. Now I'm hang up and listen.